Welcome to the Axial Podcast. Axial is an early-stage investment firm based in San Francisco. We partner with great founders and inventors investing in early-stage life science companies often when they are no more than an idea. Axial is fanatical about helping the rare inventor who is compelled to build their own enduring business. We are recording, Abhishek. Well, thanks for doing this. Uh, cool. Last minute. So uh, I'm really excited to talk about your story. Uh, how you built Elucid Data into like one of these leading data companies in biotech, and then uh, also thanks for the tip on up. When I'm looking yeah. to have this conversation, you should but, uh, just for context. Abby Sheck um, runs Elucid Data. Um, he's co-founder and CEO, and Elucid Data is actually used by one of my portfolio companies, Serenova Bio, and really awesome product in terms of harmonizing data sets in bio and making them. Um, useful for machine learning. So great to have you here. I'd love to maybe a brief introduction and we can go from there. Yeah, no, Josh, uh, thanks for having me. I, I keep, you keep showing up in my inbox and uh, I'm part of your Slack community. So finally oh. to see your face, uh, put a face to the name. And, oh. that, uh, and then, you know, I appreciate the opportunity that you extended to us. Um, uh, a little bit about, you know, my own story. So I was trained uh, in academia, um, you know, the usual, grad school postdoc uh, i was in at u chicago and then later at mit to do my postdoc um, it was in computational biology and um uh, for the longest time like you know i aspired to be a professor in academia and you know for a variety of reasons at some point uh, it did not make sense to pursue that uh, luckily for me uh, i learned about a small company in cambridge very close to where i was at mit um, you know that was coming up and one of my friends who was uh, in the lab that I was at the postdoc, uh, he was his PI at Harvard Medical School. Uh, he was starting or he had started a company already and they were looking for someone with my background. And, you know, that worked out really nicely for me. That company was Argeos Pharmaceuticals. And um, as I look back, right, I think that was a huge inflection point for me um, uh, to switch from academia to industry and still like, you know, do quite cutting edge science, publish, uh, and at the same time, most importantly, like you know, do something which has a very, uh, you know, intimate and profound impact for patients, right? And and I, I learned all of that at Argus. So in, in many ways, I feel that you know, Argus is where I started the second phase of my career. Uh, I was there for five and a half years, six years. Uh, it was incredible. Um, you know, uh, great team, great science, um, great mission. And uh, one of the things that I, um, you know, tried to pick up and learn from my CEO at Agios was uh, to remember that it's all about patience, you know, at the end of the day. And um, all the slides that you make and all the code that you write or all the funds that you raise, right? At the end of the day, it's important to remember that you're serving a patient and the family, right? And uh, he, uh, David uh, Schenken, who's now, you know, I think has moved on to other things, Google Ventures. Yeah. He uh, would take a lot of pain and effort to remind us of that, right? So there were some physical reminders. For example, when you entered Argus, there was a, um, uh, in the foyer, in the lobby, there were uh, pictures of, um, you know, uh, friends and family members of colleagues uh, who were lost to cancer. It's a very visceral reminder of why why do you show up on Mondays, right? Why do you work late nights? And um, 
uh, I remember in one of the company retreats, uh, he had invited a patient. Uh, she was a uh, peak. She had an inborn error of you know metabolism, and she was fine. You know, she was teaching, and but her life uh, style was heavily compromised. And, and she was very brave. She shared a very intimate story with um, you know the entire company. Um, everyone was like you know um, teary eyed. Uh, it was a quite a remarkable story, and, and it's so funny because you know. Scientists are trained to be cynical, right? But this was a very emotional, like for an hour, everyone was quiet and listening to her. And one of the things that she said at the end, which uh, has stayed with me, is uh, uh, like, hey, for someone like me, like the, you know, she, um, uh, all she has is hope that some scientist somewhere is working on that rare disease or, you know, that hard to cure disease. And that's the hope that she's hanging on, right? And um, if uh, you know, uh, she requested us, right? If you can do one more thing for one more hour, right? Do an experiment, do an analysis, one more meeting, right? Do that because that hour means a lot to me and my family, right? And and that was quite a you know uh, remarkable call, right, to me and my peers, right? And I, I fully uh, understand and appreciate that as a data scientist myself, which is what I was doing at Argus, I would suboptimally use many hours in my week, right? Like doing some things which uh, were just not you know the best you know usage of my hour and 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 in many ways i think that was the inception of what i wanted to do next i started thinking about it and um you know a couple of years later i started elucita in 2015. you know i i was trained in computational biology my training was in statistical physics uh, yeah. uh but i had been working on biological problems of different you know nature uh, in my phd protein folding and in my postdoc, it was computational immunology, but I had to learn uh, you know, a lot of biochemistry when I started Argus, so I learned it on the job. Cool. And biology is very like you know broad, right? They're very specific things, and you just have to be ready to embrace grunt work, right? So I remember when I got my job offer from Argus, there was a few weeks of break uh, because uh, they had to you know uh, take some time to process my visa and whatnot. Yeah. And I remember those days because I just memorized all the biochemical biochemistry of uh, metabolism cell metabolism because you know Argus was a metabolism company and um at that time i don't remember it anymore as well i knew all the enzymes and their isoforms and you know what reaction uh, started glycolysis and how many ATPs were consumed at these stage it was just you know you had to just dig deep and uh, be ready to embrace the details you know which are quite important right uh, for one they give you the language to talk to your colleagues, right? To yeah. understand, and to like it also educates your work a lot, right? Uh, so, yeah, I, I learned a lot of that on the job, and you know, I was very glad to have an environment where that was encouraged. Cool, that's awesome. And then, and then, like for, for Agios, you know, Agios is like one of the most successful biotech companies in the last decade. I think there's like three drug approvals or something. Yes, like yes. So, 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 like, how did you? Do you feel you got lucky to just find Agios? Or did you actually like run a process as you made that transition from academia to industry? Like, did you kind of like, like, did you like compare companies and pick agios, or do you just feel that oh, we just kind of came to your network and came kind of easy, it came natural to join that company? Yeah, that's a good, great question. So, um, you know, I it was very opportunistic. So I got, I think, you know, I, I was lucky to know the right people at the right time. You know, um, Jason, uh, he was my friend. Um, he's my friend. Um, he was postdoc and his PI was starting this. So that's how I learned about it. 
Uh, I did not run quite a process, but there were a couple of options that are evaluating quite seriously. Uh, one of them was with Disho and one was with Agios, uh, both equally you know, exciting in different ways. Uh, for one, I had to move to New York. One, I had to stay back you know, in Boston. Disho, that, that job profile was very similar to what I had done in my PhD, and that was you know, uh, not quite thrilling. Uh, Agios was uh, less familiar to me in terms of the science that they were doing, and I thought that would be a good place to you know, spend the next few years. And uh, in hindsight, you know, I feel uh, you know, life does not give you a chance to do control experiments, but um, I am glad I made that choice. So it was, you know, fairly opportunistic and lucky. That makes sense. Yeah, I think if you if you joined DE Shaw, you probably got, would have got paid a lot more money, but uh, yes. you yes. probably would never have left. I'm first working DE Shaw, and like they yeah. don't. Leave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't think Elucid Data would have got started if you maybe not. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so you start Elucid Data in 2015. Yes. Um, you know. What do you, can, you, can you just explain what you do first? Uh, yeah, at Elucidator. Yeah. Uh, well, personally, I uh, don't do, do don't do much at at this point. But you know, uh, what the company does is uh, greatly influenced by my own uh, experience at Argus, which was not unique by any means. You know, it was quite universal, and I have learned this over and over again through our customers, through my peers, where you know. Uh, most of the time I would spend was just you know cleaning the data, right? Putting it in the right format. There's a lot of scrubbing, you know, showing off your Excel skill, skills or writing that you know hacky script in R or Python to play with data frames. Um, Excel pivoting. There's a lot of that, right? That went on. Um, and um, just to give you a flavor as to how these things started, right? At Argus, uh, often my peers, uh, my boss or some colleague would ask. Hey, can you look up uh, at all those experiments that we did in last four months where you know this gene was up or that metabolite was down? In plain English, that's a very straightforward ask. And you know, to be fair, it's a very reasonable ask, right? Like you should be able to do that because you did those experiments, you have all the information. But in practice, that was insanely hard. Yeah. Right? And uh, one was just getting access to data. Uh, well, let's say you have access to data, then you know they are all in different formats. Put them together, and finally, you know, you derive some insight out of it, right? And insight was the currency that you know everyone understood. Everyone, you know, uh, was excited about that. That that's where my glory was, right? Uh, but what was underrecognized and underappreciated is all the time and effort that went to get the data ready for that insight analysis, right? Generation. And to be fair, even I did not appreciate that it took so much work, right? Because I would not even talk about it. I would not even acknowledge it. I would even not even know that I could get help for clean data, right? And um, this was, you know, in my arduous days. But increasingly, we saw that over and over again uh, in different companies, in different stages, in academia, like, you know, labs at Yale, or in small biotech companies like, you know, Argeos, in large pharma companies like, you know, Pfizer, Genentech, Novartis, you name it. Where uh, the proverbial, like you know, the uh, urban legend uh, of data science is right, where eighty percent of your time is just uh, cleaning the data and twenty percent is analysis, and that has shaped what we want to do at Elucidata. We want to flip that ratio, where you spend twenty percent of your time getting access to clean data and eighty percent of your time on analysis and insight generation, which is where the value is, right? So we we see ourselves as enablers. Um, 
for all the scientists uh, like you know i was at argus and others who are again trying to you know bring drugs and therapies and diagnostic tools for patients cool i mean that's like honestly i i i used to used to do a lot of bioinformatics when i was a professional scientist and uh yeah just like you spend a lot of time on spreadsheets or fast yeah fast yeah different genomic yeah. files or um, yeah, using what was the what was the programming like awk at awk awk yeah yeah awk yeah all these different yeah like you're just like probing data sets and trying to align them and it's a yeah it's a pain in the neck and so um maybe we can back it all up a little bit. Josh, I don't know if you uh, have seen this. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. There's a, there's a meme that's quite popular, and I like this a lot. Uh, in the first panel of the meme um, is, you know, someone at the front of the room is asking, hey, who wants clean data? And, you know, everyone in the room puts up their hand. Mm -hmm. And the next panel is, who wants to clean data? And, you know, there's radio silence, right? No one wants to do that. Mm. That's, that's what we saw over and over again. Um, uh, in my own experience, in I would suck it up and do it for, like, five data sets, you know, a week. and I would not sign up for doing it for 50 data sets, right? For historical data sets, right? Uh, or new data sets that were coming out in public domain. Uh, I would not raise my hand for that, right? And I, I I believe that at Elucita, we learned that's a huge opportunity and that's where we are focused and committed to. And we have made some decent progress to you know address that problem. Cool. So it's 2014, 15-ish, and then yes. you're, you're solving these problems at Agios. I think Agios have already gone public. Yes. So that was nice. Congrats. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, what was the kind of the, the, tr the trigger or the spark for you to say, hey, let me go start this company? Uh, was it like finding a co founder? Was it customer pool? What was the kind of the, the spark to say, let me leave Agios, pretty risky, and just start a startup and like, you know, go all in? Yeah. I mean, again, uh, <laughs> I'll be very honest. Right? I think um, a lot of that was naivety on my part, right? Argus was a very good gig for me. Like, you know, they compensate you well, uh, great colleagues, great science. Uh, as you said, you know, it was one of the most successful companies in the last decade. Uh, being part of that from early days was, you know, huge. Um, and I could have, you know, stayed there, uh, I feel. But I also realized that I was at a different place personally, right? Um, the company was at a different place. And um, I, I did not do any kind of, you know, market research or such, but I felt for sure that, you know, the things that I wanted to do was essentially make tools, right? For drug discovery, not necessarily uh, make the drugs the my, my, myself or like be in that that organization, right? So the agenda that I had to pursue, uh, I think Arjus would have been a great beneficiary of that, but not the best place to build those things in terms of recruiting that talent pool or you know having that you know, mandate, right? It was not quite aligned. There was an intersection, but not quite aligned. Mm -hmm. There are a few other things in my personal life too, right? Like my wife, uh, she was insanely supportive. She still is. And you know, I cannot thank her enough. Cool. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think if we if our conversation gets to that point, right, I'll I'll, you know. It's a huge, uh, you know, ask right from your, you know, family to to support you in this. And she was, you know, she was very supportive. She had a stable gig at MIT, uh, so that was helpful. We did not have a mortgage. Uh, we did not have any kids then. 
Ajus had gone public, so that was good for my public health. So you know, I did not do any kind of Excel analysis like should I do this or not. I just jumped in it, right? And I had uh, my co-founder who I could rely heavily on. I had you know deep trust in him, and I thought like, hey, let's you know uh, come into this and explore, and and that's how it started. You know? That's awesome. Okay, so then let's. Uh, I think one thing too is like, you know, you built one of the few pure play software companies in biotech that has had success yep. and it's like super duper hard. So maybe we can talk a lot about, you know, the challenges and opportunities to build better software in biotech. Yep. Um, you know, I think we talked a lot of early stage companies when they get started. How did you find your first customers? What was yep. that? Did you just hit up agios or did you yep. have to, did you focus on a particular, category initially how did you convince them to pay you money was it initially services or did you kind of get them to agree to like subscriptions or something yeah no great question and uh, let me first acknowledge that you know it is hard period right uh, building a software company in biotech is hard. building a software company or building any company is hard right this is harder um uh, and then you know uh, when we started um, i think there were two options ahead of us one option was to raise some capital and build a product right we were very intentional about being a product company on day one that that i think both me and my co-founder were very intentional about uh the other option was um to you know just get into market right and have our customers fund the product development and uh capital aside right uh, i think we really wanted to uh, make something that the customers actually wanted and were willing to pay for it and none of these options are easy or, you know, uh, we, we just decided to go with the second one. And again, Argeus uh, was, you know, a great supporter where we had a customer, um, Argeus in this case, uh, pretty much on day one, right? Oh. And um, for first three years, we bootstrapped the company um, doing services, which in hindsight, you know, uh, where, you know, variety of services, building dashboards, building pipelines, building, you know, doing this and that. Uh, just to you know pay the bills and but again uh, we were very intentional from day one to build a product and uh we learned a lot from the market we learned how to you know identify a need that was uh quite critical where you know our customers would pay us uh hopefully you know substantial amounts of money to you know be worthwhile right like we should in return create enough value for them to demand that kind of you know contract size right and i think uh, that educated us quite a lot and um, as we got closer to launching the product uh, then uh, we started knocking on the doors of you know what i call uh, friends families and fools cool. to uh, give us some capital right to accelerate the growth and um, that was when uh, i think you know uh, our ambitions as a company as a group changed quite dramatically where we did a seed round led by hyperplane uh, they're a Boston-based fund, uh, early-stage company, and they have been spectacular partners for us. And then that round closed in 2018, um, uh, summer. So the first phase of the company was just like going to market, learning from the customers, um, getting paid, bootstrap, very lean, you know, and then build the product. Cool. I think so. I think that's kind of 
it seems to be all the case studies of the successful SaaS companies in the life sciences, you know, it took a few years for them to like be able to productize services and find product market fit. Uh, because why do you think, maybe one quick question is like, why do you think it takes a little bit longer to find product market fit in biotech? Is it just the, the number of customers are smaller? Is it like some sort of like maybe skepticism on you know biotech? If you go back in time, do you think Elucida could have just launched a product and been successful, or did you need that space in the beginning to find product market fit? Right, uh, again, that's a very good question. Very uh, you know worthy of like an hour long conversation just on that. Yeah, and I'm certainly biased and limited by my own experience. I think uh, there's definitely um, you know, a component of the market, right? Where uh, the multiple things, like I would say, you know, there's a very classic conflict of build versus buy. And you don't want to be in a situation where you're competing with your customers, right? Um, you um, have to define what is complementary and where you can help them. And that, that's, you know, definitely part of the dynamics. And I have said this often, and I certainly believe it very deeply that you know, all of us are builders and buyers. And my own company, at Elucidator, right? We have to continuously make a decision as to what we will buy and what we'll build, right? We cannot possibly uh, sign up for building something like Jira, a ticketing issue, right? Like we just buy it. And, you know, all of us, and my, our customers also have to answer that question for themselves. And that that's definitely a part of the dynamics. The other part is um, also, you know, uh, I think uh, clarity or lack of education. Uh, for example, if I was to just go back to my RGO's days, as a data scientist, I did not even know that I could get help, right, uh, for data cleaning, uh, something that Elucida does now, right? Uh, and I believe there are a lot of uh, data scientists, like I was at Argeus, who are still, like, you know, doing what uh, I was doing at Argeus, you know, manually in a non-scalable way, with you know, which works quite well for them uh, with their artisanal, you know, awk scripts or Perl hacks, and are you know, pivoting commands and whatnot, uh, melting the table. It's just that they don't even know that, hey, you know, this could be um, automated or, or you know, you, you can hire a vendor like Illustrator, the others too, to uh, take it off their plate so that they can focus more on, you know, high value problems, right? So uh, this lack of education, there's, you know, this dynamics of build versus buy, there's a, you know, market size, not um, number of companies that you can go to is not huge. Um, but I think that's true for other sectors too, like financial, um, you know, uh, industry, right? With there around five thousand banks, right? Few of them are big, huge. Yeah. Most of them are small, and a lot of uh, very successful fintech companies have been built uh, to serve that uh, few thousand companies, right? Um, I think biotech or life sciences at large will have that too. Uh, we are in early days of that. Um, we feel that we are very um you know fortunate with the timing and you're seeing a lot of activity right from vcs from young companies that are coming up like latch where you mentioned uh or size spot that, that you know many of them right um uh, we certainly see ourselves as not you know we're still learning and we're still getting started but there's definitely that and there's a you know you know a question of when will a first unicorn a or 100 billion 100 million revenue company SaaS company will come out in life sciences and, you know, uh, Benchling seems to be on that track. I don't know if they have already crossed it, but they have been very successful. Uh, they're a SaaS company. Um, 
but I remember like, you know, when I was in uh, Cambridge, uh, there was a group of folks from MIT and Broad. Uh, there was a, you know, they would meet up every few weeks, uh, Hammer and Nail. That was the name of the group. Yeah. They would just talk about problems. And I remember John Kailty at Third Rock, he uh, had extended that invitation to me. And one of the themes that would come up all the time is when will be there a billion dollar you know, software company in life sciences? Um, if you just look at you know uh, names, right? There are only a handful of them. Schrodinger is one. Benchling is another. If you you know from whatever I can gather from publicly available reports, yeah. you know their market cap is greater than billion. So you know there has to be first one, and we have a couple, right? This will change more in days to come. Uh, if you look at you know, uh, you know AWS adoption, right? That all has has happened in last uh, you know ten years, or less than a decade, right? In life sciences, now it's a default. When I was at Argus, you know, we had to go a lot of, there was a lot of back and forth in just, you know, getting an AWS account, right? So things are changing and changing in the right direction. Um, we see that, you know, data scientists are a higher in the first five, um, you know, team members in a small biotech company. Um, that is not true even just a few years back, right? That roles like chief data officer and chief, um, you know, so, Things are changing, but you know, at the same time, biotech companies are not like Netflix or tech companies. Uh, we believe, and that's one of our key theses, that uh, biotech companies of the future will look more like tech companies, you know? yeah. and and that's what we are here to enable too. And that's pretty insightful in terms of like comparing biotech SaaS to fintech progression, um, in terms of because the, the the market structure is pretty similar in terms of like. Yep. Number of companies are lower and it's and the big ones and small ones and yep. very few in between. Um and so you know, I think that build versus buy mixture shifting yep. where pharma companies are oh, willing to buy more tools. Yep. Um as long as they're better than what they can build yep. is yep. is important. Maybe back to Elucidata. So maybe we can talk about the first customer, Agio, is raise some money. Yep. And then you're you're in the thicket. Uh, yes. Building a SaaS company in biotech, yes. <laughs> so you're in this. You you live this. And yes. So, could you talk about like what was the first product? Because the product you have now is pretty expansive. RNA-seq, proteomics, genomics. Mm -hmm. Like you can adjust a lot of different data sets, mm -hmm. harmonize them, and then enable a company. Yep. What was that first product was it focused on like I'm assuming RNA-seq, but maybe it was maybe what was the first product focused on? So uh, that, that has, again, been a journey and an evolution of sorts for us. So our first focus was not even on the product, just on the technology. right? Mm -hmm. And the technology that we were, uh, we are working on, and I think we have a very differentiated um, technology here, is uh, has two pillars. Pillar number one is uh, what I would call data engineering, right? where we deal with data in, you know, um, let's say, a dozen formats. And our goal is to bring it into one consistent tabular schema every single time. Okay, and um, that's pillar number one. Pillar number two is um, uh, which is very heavy on NLP, and um, we take the metadata and uh, metadata of three things like the data set and uh, the rows and the columns, so features and samples, mm -hmm. and we harmonize the metadata of uh, all of them, right? When we have done both of those two things, we call the data set to be ML ready, right? And, um, you know, so just to give you a little more color, right? Uh, you would have diseases where 
you you know scientists would name heptacellular carcinoma or you know next day the same scientists would call it hcc and uh, two days later it would be liver cancer right now as a as a human expert you know that these things these things mean the same but the software does not right so certainly if you want to do some you know ai initiative or ml modeling you know you're compromised and who is going to clean this up right so this is the tech that we are trying to build and this is our pillar number 2 where we would link heterocellular carcinoma hcc and liver cancer to a particular ontology and then you know when you find it you will see all those three hits now this is true for you know data set level metadata it's true for um, you know sample level metadata it's also true for features like for example you use gene symbol or entry id or spot id and you know again you use it different days different um, ids and you're compromised so we are trying to harmonize that piece and the first act was to go to a data that is in public domain and uh, just test our technology right uh, and we did that with uh, around 90 terabytes of biomedical data from 30 different sources and that included you know ngs data that included uh, mass spec based proteomics metabolomics data that included non omics data like flow cytometry and such some clinical notes too but when it came to product i think one of the challenges was not to do a whole lot right so we have narrowed down the scope of the product quite massively and again um for a stage uh, you know a young company like illustrata the the challenge is to do less and often the temptation and personally you know for me being a scientist right trained as a scientist uh, i always go back to you know signing up for this and that right that's not quite helpful and that's you know a lesson for me to you know remain focused keep my company focused so the product question that you had you know we are focusing just on two data types uh, rna seq bulk and single cell and we are taking data from public domain and uh, making it you know findable and usable right um that's the not focus anything else you know uh, we uh, enable that by providing our services and uh, that has you know been very helpful for us to uh, get you know uh, quite an exciting traction in the in the industry right so four uh, of the top 10 pharma companies are you know working with us and a couple of dozen you know smaller biotech companies are leveraging our product and services to accelerate the discovery programs cool and you have seronova definitely leon loves you guys so yes, yes. <laughs> you know so yeah elucidate really sped up a lot of seronova's uh you know discovery work so i appreciate that yeah. i think if if only you can ask him to write a testimonial for us uh, because you know we always run into this legal contracting where our customers our champions are very keen to give us you know uh, but you know we we don't uh, I'll talk to Leon okay I'll talk to Leon this Friday I talked to him every Friday so I'm yeah. going to bring it up with him and say hey yeah. I'll talk to Aaron and the whole team on Friday but uh cool okay um uh one thing about lucid data the, the comp I make to your company is like five tran um yeah familiar five trend five trends yeah, I'm, I'm quite familiar with five trend i mean well as much as their website would tell me you know you know actually the ceo of five trend he's a phd neuroscientist uh, oh. just just uh just on a side note but uh he you know for context five trend is a enterprise software company more for more general focused on yes integrating data sets from like crms and a bunch of other sources and and harmonizing them yes and It's actually pretty hard. I think that company was founded like in 2012. It's hard, yeah. And then it took them like 5 years to get successful. Yeah. And only in the last 2 years had they become like 
really successful. Yeah, yeah. So it was a long, long, yeah. long journey. And I, I just remember like they have these really cool stories of like how difficult it was to like yeah. make sure to they, they, they delivered data yeah. from a CRM that was yeah. exactly the same. Yeah. For Lucid data, do you have any like funny stories like that when you were trying to when you were structuring all that public data? Was there like little issues that would like that were a pain in the neck for you for like years or months? Oh man, tons of story. It's funny that you bring up five ten because I I go on their website almost every week uh, just to check them out and you know, uh, and it, it's funny because you know I've shied away from using that we are five ten of bio biomedical data because most of my audience does not do not know about five ten, um, but we we uh, as much as we can gather you know uh, we love what they're doing and uh, we see ourselves like you know playing a very similar role um, for our customers. And in some ways, you know, if you think about it, it's um, uh, the challenges are more nuanced and more specific to the vertical that we are in. Where, you know, okay, uh, if you're an enterprise, you have a CRM, and more or less, all your customer data is in that CRM, right? Um, Salesforce or uh, PipeDrive or HubSpot, whatever that may be. And uh, guess what? Those um, CRMs have a you know, some programmatic access, right? But if you go back to uh, Around a dozen resources that are in public domain that our you know, customers use, Geo or TCGA or something uh, released by Broad. All of them have, um, if you're lucky, some of them will have you know a programmatic access. Uh, the interface of that uh, API is very different; uh, can change anytime, right? Um, so, in some sense, ingesting the data at that scale is is massively um, harder, right? Um, we had to like you know for example, I'll give you some numbers. Uh, we have around forty thousand data sets from Geo uh, RNC data sets that are harmonized, cleaned up on Poly, and um, there are around 20, 25 data sets that are being added on Geo every single day. And and we have a real time you know update where we pull the data. And now these data sets are processed differently, and we had to standardize that. Now processing, you know, twenty. RNA-seq data sets daily, uh, which you know roughly has around you know let's say 400 samples, is a non-trivial task. Um, and if you were to do that at scale that we have done, you know it's it's highly non-trivial. Where we had to you know, build a computational infrastructure for our own sake, uh, process all of them through one single pipeline. For single cell, it's even harder. So we have published some of the blogs. We'll we'll publish more. But the point I'm trying to make is that you know the heterogeneity. And the domain expertise that you need uh, for single-cell bulk RNA-seq uh, is very nuanced, and that makes it challenging, right, uh, to build something like this. But in an abstract sense, we are trying to do, you know, at least we think we are trying to do something very similar to uh, Fivetran. And of course, th these comp comparisons are always tricky because there are always nuances that you know Fivetran is dealing with, which we are not, and we are dealing with, and they are not. But um, yeah, that's a great parallel. Yeah, I think yeah, Fivetran has to deal with like so many different like inputs. Yeah, it seems like uh, Elucidata. Not only that, but you also have to deal with like so much variability <laughs> in like data quality and like I'm assuming I, I just know for a fact like an RNA seq package from one institution is definitely not the same as RNA seq or a data a data set from another institution. It's a lot of especially on the academic side, like. Yep. much variability in terms of 
quality annotation. So yeah. uh, you have to kind of, I'm assuming that's, especially, it took me a few years probably even to like, you know, make a dent there and do, do that for yeah. 90 terabytes. Uh, mm -hmm. That's yep. that's, that's insane. Um, so maybe we can touch upon um, the other pillar of Elucidata, which is the you know the NLP side, the NL the, the ML side. Yep. Uh, I have a friend, Jacob Oppenheim. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually did a podcast with him last year, mm -hmm. and he had this really cool framework of, you know, for biology, you need to train your models to yep. do unphysical un things. Yep. Which means like. You need to be able to give them data sets that are uh, helpful for them to know what to do and what not to do. And sometimes yep. biologists only do the experiments that are positive. Yeah. Um, for Elucidata and maybe in general, like, what, what, why is data structure so important for like application for drug development, diagnostics, and, and other things? Yeah, and also that do threads here that I hear. Uh, one is uh, just the retraining the you know uh, large language models or NLP models. Yeah. Um, and you know this is very timely conversation. Uh, there's so many LLMs that are coming out, large language models. And our thesis is that um, well, one, it's hard to make a uh, LLM. Um, it's very expensive. It requires a lot of expertise. It requires a lot of time. And I think uh, what we have seen. Even if you put all those aside, right? Let's say we had the time and the money to do that. I think uh, what we are seeing is that there's a lot of value in um, um, retreating that, and and that that gives you bigger bang for buck, you know. And and that's how we have approached this problem. So, more specifically, we have taken uh, Bert, which was published by Google a few years back, um, uh, and we have retrained that on experimental designs for RNA-seq, right? Where we extracted all that information from um, PubMed, and we retrained BERT, and we call that PolyBERT, and that's where we have, you know, created value, right? So now PolyBERT outperforms BERT and other models uh, when it comes to very specific tasks like uh, recognizing entities like cell type, cell line, disease, regression of disease or survival. Um, you know, these are very specific fields, entities, that we do much better, almost as well as human curators themselves. We definitely outperform a more horizontal plot tool like BERT. Right? And the, the magic was in, in retraining, right? Continuously retraining. Now, the second piece is uh, we also don't see human curators as uh, being replaced. We see them as being enabled by PolyBERT. So we have you know, around 40 curators who um, Constantly use our curation uh, platform to curate these datasets from public domain or uh, you know from your proprietary sources uh, at the three levels that I mentioned, right? A data set, sample, and feature. So these two uh, have been like lessons for us, where we retrain the model, not build a new one, and uh, keep humans in the loop, right? Uh, which we call uh, and others have called this too, right? Active learning, and as human curators. Um, you know, curate data, the models get better and smarter. Um, with these two things, like I think we have been able to hit this kind of scale of, you know, pushing 90 terabytes over the last, you know, couple of years, which would not have been possible otherwise. Interesting. Hmm. And so, like, on the, hmm, so what I'm hearing is that, like, there's an interplay between 
like training models and then like uh, maybe the better question is this like um I'm, like how do how do you think data structuring keeps up with model progression because it seems like models are always updated every year yeah and then the, the underlying data sets um uh, it, it, it it's at least from my perspective it seems like the model models are progressing much faster than yeah. our ability to structure the data <laughs> yeah especially in biotech yeah, yeah how do you think you know i think elucid is you know, is playing a role here yeah. how, how do you make sure that, that it has parity to like you know making it easy to structure data to make better models because it seems like knowing the ai field just a little there's always new models coming out. You know, LLMs are really the hot trend now. Uh, you know, a long time ago, it was like, you know, TensorFlow and other types of neural networks. So um, how do you think data structuring keeps up with all this progress on the AI side? Yeah, so one thing that we have, you know, seen this over and over again, and others have talked about this too, right? Where, you know, we have to almost get on the same page where uh, having access to clean and linked data is, you know, central to predictive ML, right? Yeah. And uh, there's a famous quote uh, from Vas Narsimhan, who's the CEO of Novartis, that we use a lot in our slides, where he says that you know often organizations underestimate what it takes to uh, clean and link data, right? Um, and they start an AI initiative, and six months later, nine months later, they realize that oh, some very highly trained uh, ML modelers, ML scientists are you know cleaning data. Uh, if you take uh, is you know more successful and public story of uh, alpha fold right uh, i think the kind of success that they have had would not have been possible if rcsb did not have you know pdb files from all the yeah. labs over many years as structured as it is right it's not perfect but it's pretty good and and a lot of you know stakeholders like uh, those labs and uh, nih uh, came together to make that resource available to the scientific community at large right so the value of having structured data is essential and we have to get on the same page right and we also have to acknowledge that we don't often uh, understand and appreciate the kind of expertise and time it takes to do that right it's very uh, again if i go back to my own experience at Argus, right very savvy scientists very you know deep domain experts but they almost you know to really ask for like hey, give me this 40 data sets right and that's not an easy task you're not quite set up to do that right if you had the right tools and infrastructure yes then it becomes you know almost like a snap of finger and you have that but that's not where we live that's not what the reality is and um uh, you know even if you you know look at the you know all the excitement that chat gpt has generated right i believe there's a lot of work that must have happened to make those prompts right uh, clean them up or put them in a particular form and such as to educate that model right so uh, as an industry like and as a community at large we have to uh, acknowledge and resource and you know invest in making sure that the infrastructure is there where you know your AI initiatives will succeed. Otherwise, you know we'll be running a big risk. Right. Cool. One quick question from your purview: What's like? What are some of the fastest growing data sets in bio? Is it proteomics? What are you kind of seeing from your customer base? Like, is it are, are like people producing more and more? Protein sequencing data, or is it just single cell sequencing? Just like you know, keep on. Is it like you know, is it, is that growth just still torrid? 
Yeah, I think uh, the usual culprits, right? Genomic data is uh, huge, but often they're not quite available. Um, you know, they're often behind some kind of regulatory, for good reasons. Uh, transcriptomic is another one, bulk RNA-seq, that's uh, growing quite rapidly. Um, single cell has generated a lot of interest. It's quite, you know, very eagerly sought after. Mm -hmm. Then you have, you know, a bunch of mass spec-based um, omics, like proteomics, metabolomics, lipidom lipidomics, but there, there are some inherent challenges with mass spec um, omics where you know it's not as quote unquote um, well interpreted by a broader community like you know let's say transcriptomic data is. So there you know some challenges there, but uh, these are the data types that we hear a lot. Uh, and there's you know tons of data uh, with not as much uh, you know uh, size, but a lot of velocity right that comes outside of this space like flow cytometry data set is being used in discovery space in manufacturing um, and a lot of you know really powerful questions can be asked but it's compromised because the data is not you know quite clean and linked and, and again we see us, uh, us playing a role in non-omics data as well as we as we move forward oh yes we got to be the five trend for bio Let's yeah, yeah. five trend took you know to be honest five trend took like What's seven years to get really, really successful? So yeah, yeah, it's know, yeah. two years from now, I think Elucid Data is going to be a you know, billion-dollar SaaS company. <laughs> but you know, it's on if you, on the five trend directory. But uh, to kind of wrap up the conversation, any like final lessons, or at least at this point in time, you know, any lessons you you kind of I think the, throughout the conversation we've kind of alluded to a few, but um, you know, any kind of lessons for maybe aspiring entrepreneurs or people who are trying to make that jump to industry. Yeah, so you know, I I, uh, it, it, I don't even realize, but it's been seven years since I've been doing this, and as I talk to uh, uh, new CEOs who are thinking about starting it, a company or have started, I, I suddenly feel like you know I'm on the other side where I'm, I have things to share with them, which is funny to me because I I believe we have just started and we are still learning. To me, um, you know, uh, it's the best self improvement project that I could have signed up for. You cannot hide; you have to face. Uh, conversations and challenges and issues it's a constant learning and you know it's a huge privilege i'm i'm very lucky to uh, have you know a support system for my peers my family my team uh, my investors and my customers to you know let me do what i'm doing uh, it's it's a huge privilege right but um, there's also you know a huge cost to it it's, it's you know it can be quite overwhelming your family you know is uh, you know, signs up for this ride. Uh, they don't get to experience the highs that you do, but they do get to experience the lows that you do, because you know you have you need someone to go and talk to, and those things take it all right. So uh, anyone who is um, thinking of doing this, I would suggest um, do it. This would be the best job that you you know do in your life, but also make sure that you have a support system right from your family, from your team. Customers, investors, abuse, every bit helps, right? And you need a lot of support. It's it's a tough gig, but again, um, it's a huge privilege to do what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm very thankful. That's awesome. Well, thanks for doing this. I think it's going to be really useful. I know it's going to be really useful, and uh, we'll do this like two years from now. But Just uh, I really appreciate uh, kind of taking the time to talk to us, and uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Yeah, Josh, thank you again. Uh, this has uh, been a wonderful conversation, and um, uh, I hope this can help someone. But I would love to connect with you again in two years and see where we are. It would be a great. It's going to be super successful. Honestly, 5Tran 
took seven yeah. years to get yeah. moderately successful. And then the flywheel just mm -hmm. became huge around like 2020. Yeah. No, I, yeah. yeah. So like, I think five trends can be worth like tens of billions. So yes. uh, I think Elucid Data is a good company there. Yes, indeed. Now I'd love to uh, learn more from them compared notes. Um, the okay, next time in SF, let me know. I'm, I have a personal connection to them and maybe we can you know, dinner or something. Yeah, I'll take you up on that. Cool, man. Hit me up, and we'll, we'll take a walk and get some dinner, but I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Josh.